Testing one, two. Amen. Hallelujah. We had a very exciting week, haven't we? Right? All the craziness with the weather and uh, just uh, just been kind of insane. But this is the the area we live in has four seasons, and so does our lives. We go through seasons in life where we have the good times, we have the bad times, we have the struggling times, we have the disturbing times. These are seasons in life. But there's a season I want to speak about this morning that people have a hard time processing. That's the season of failure. And so this morning, the title of our sermon is called Restoration is the Will of God. Restoration is the will of God. You know, one baseball player set a record for the most strikeouts, which was 1,316 strikeouts. The same player set a record for the most uh, consecutive strikeouts in the World Series, which was five. But that same player was the holder of both, who was the holder of both of those records, was also the great slugger we know as Babe Ruth. There was a, there's a basketball player that said, I've missed more than 9,000 shots in my career. I've lost almost 300 games. 26 times I've been trusted to take the game-winning shot and missed. He says, I failed over and over and over again in my life, and that is why I succeed. That was Michael Jordan. See, failure is just a part of the process. It's not just okay. It's better than okay. God doesn't want failure to shut us down. Amen. God didn't make it a three strikes you're out sort of thing. It's more about how God helps us dust ourselves off so that we can swing for the fences again. And all of this without keeping a meticulous record of our screw ups. You know, we are our own worst critics. <laughs> no one can discourage us like ourselves. Amen. You need to have a better view of yourself because God is the one that destined your life when you're faithful to him. And if God counts us worthy and he even calls us the apple of his eye, if God looks at us with such love and such promise and such hope, why do you think so differently of yourself? Acts chapter 2, verses 22 to 23, the Bible says, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves also know, him being delivered by the, by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death, whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be held by it. For David says, concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is at my right hand, that I may not be shaken. Therefore, my heart rejoiced, and my tongue was glad. Moreover, my flesh also will rest in hope, for you will not leave my soul in Hades, 
nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. You have made known to me the ways of life. You will make me full of joy in your presence. Men and brethren, let me speak freely to you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Therefore, being a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his body, according to the flesh, he would raise up the Christ to sit on his throne. He, foreseeing this, spoke concerning the resurrection of the Christ, that his soul was not left in Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. corruption. This Jesus God has raised up, of which we are all witnesses. I want you to think about this for a second. The very man that preached that sermon that we read about in Scripture was a man that failed. And when God, amen, came to him once again and restored him, think what I'm saying this morning. He restored him back, amen, to his purpose. He preached a sermon, 3,000 souls got saved. How powerful is that? I want to first speak about the reality of hope. You know, the revelation of God is that he is a God of hope. So many people look at God like a judge without, with a gavel, amen, without mercy in his hand, ready to judge without hope, without a second chance, without love. But the God that we serve and present who must judge righteously also is a God of hope. How many know, you know, people say it all the time, don't they? Why is God judging me like this? Nah, bro, that's your sin. God wants to save you. Don't blame God because you allow sin to take over your life. God wants to save you. There's always the hope that all things can turn out for good. To some, this may seem impossible, but how many know what the Bible tells us? With God, all things are possible. Amen. The text presents evidence that the sermon we just read about in our text is preached by someone that just denied Jesus Christ as being Lord. Now, there's the balance, beloved. This doesn't minimize sin. I would never preach a sermon that minimizes the reality that people are sinners. But that does not trump that God wants to see us saved. Galatians chapter 6 verse 7, do not be deceived. God is not mocked for whatever one sows, that will he also reap. Believe me, beloved, and hear me very clearly this morning, uh, and I hope this never escapes you. The seeds you plant in your life. They will determine the results you see in your life. So whatever you plant now, whatever seed you plant now, believe me when I tell you, in the very near future, it's going to manifest. That's why we, we, we plant seeds of hope uh, and we plant seeds of resurrection life, uh, restoration. Uh, we tell people that God is willing. Uh, we never give you a discouraging outcome. We just let you know that there's consequences on your decisions if they're not for God. Amen. But there is the reality of hope and that hope will not fail. See, the Bible teaches us that God is a God of hope, Romans chapter 15, verse 13. 
May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you, you may abound in hope, uh, hope from God through his spirit. Uh, you abound in hope, in other words, have an abundance of it. This is who God is. This is important for us to remember. Never forget that the God, the God that we serve in this wonderful Bible is a God of hope. Right, he's hoping uh, to save the lost. Uh, he's hoping to deliver the one that seems immovable by the Spirit of God. Uh, amen. He's hoping uh, that we can have breakthrough in our lives. He's hoping uh, for many wonderful things for our lives. And even though with God we always can have hope, the issue is that failure is not forgotten as an individual. There's some people that don't do good with failure. Right? They don't. They don't do because they've always been told that they were. So one thing goes wrong is the end of the world. One thing goes wrong is just the end of the world. Right? You spill rice on the floor, it's over. That's it. Life is finished. Right? I mean, you get a stain on your, on your shirt, that's it. Life is over. I'm done. That's not what life is about. Mark chapter 16, verse 7. But go, tell his disciples and Peter. See, Peter has already denied Jesus. So there's an angel that's, that comes. To, he says, go tell his disciples and Peter. Don't leave him out. He's going before you to Galilee. There you will meet him just as he told you. Right here, the angel of God appears and calls the disciples to a meeting place with Jesus. And the emphasis, bring Peter. How many people right now that feel they have failed God feel they can't come back to church? Right now, they say, you know what, I, 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 I messed up with God. Here's Peter that denied Jesus. He actually walked with Jesus for three and a half years, seen miracles, walked on water. And when pressure hit, I don't know him. I don't know the bleepity bleep man. He started cussing. I don't know who he is. But God did not forget him. He said, bring the disciples. Don't forget Peter. Bring Peter back. What a wonderful hope that we have in the God that we serve, that he doesn't forget us. He doesn't leave us for dead. When people fail the natural tendency, you and I both know is to draw away. Some hibernate. Others isolate. Peter left to, went back to his old life. He went, he went to go fishing again. He went back to what he knew, what he thought would rekindle his dignity. Strong but very effective quote. It says that God will forgive and forget, but man will never forgive or forget towards others and self. You know, we have a hard time doing that. We can say it all day, I forgive, I forgive, I forgive, but you and I both know it's an everyday process because we have a hard time forgetting. Amen. Proverbs 18.1, whoever isolates himself, seeks his own desire, he breaks out against all sound judgment. And beloved, to isolate yourself is not helpful. To cut oneself off from family, friends, and communities often to express a selfish desire. 
When someone isolates themselves, what they're doing is they're indulging in something that's not healthy for their lives. Whether it be food, whether it be drugs, whether it be whatever it is, but they're doing something to comfort their shame as opposed to being in the presence of people that love them. It's a dangerous thing when people process failure wrong and isolate themselves. They indulge back into their sin. It shows an unwillingness to make the small and somethings large uh, sacrifices to get along with others. See, God designed us after his own triune nature. He designed us to live in community. You're not supposed to live isolated. God made us social beings. Amen. I don't like being alone. Hallelujah. Fellowshipping is fantastic. Family gatherings are awesome. Amen. Especially when there's food. <laughs> Lots of it. Hallelujah. I remember we, 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 we were in the Bronx church and we just started getting into the fasting thing. And one time we had a fellowship and we just had hot water. We were like, we're going to make believe this coffee. We're going to make believe this tea. We said, fellowship. Encouraging each other, being amongst each other, right? This is helpful to the soul. The instinct many have for isolation must not be overindulged. It is against all wise judgment. Just because you might have failed in the area of your life doesn't mean God has counted you out. He wants to help you by restoring your life. Amen. But no doubt Peter wrestled with restoration because Jesus warned him about failure before the rooster crows, he said. He already warned him. This is why the God of hope is encouraging him about restoration. And this is insight for us to help your fellow man to restoration. Many people are backstanding. They need to know that God hasn't forgotten them. Whether you be the voice of God for them to understand, listen, I know you've been away from God for a bit. I get it. But God still has a plan for your life. Don't, don't just count God out. He hasn't counted you out. Galatians 6.1, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. You know, there were some, when I was, my pastor had to help me to help other people graciously. Because I was very, very rough around the edges with a lot of brothers. They would do something that I know was not godly and I would call it out without grace. I mean, I was like, you can call me Hacksaw Jim Duggan. I was like <laughs> taking people, body slamming them on, on their sin. And I get it, you know, we're supposed to uh, expose what it is, but with a spirit of gentleness, right? Because the devil's already beating people up. He's already crushing them with their sin as opposed to bringing it out and exposing it with love and letting them know a way out of where they're at. And to see for yourself the restoration is available, you need to know that God is a God of gentleness as well. It doesn't mean that you ignore the sin. It doesn't mean you turn a blind eye to the outcome of a decision. But what it is saying is to help them grow and help them realize the destruction that their decisions have brought in their lives. And saying, you don't have to stay there. Because he desires to save, he desires to heal, and he also desires to restore. See, all throughout the Bible, God maintains a testimony of hope for flawed people just like you and me. 
Ain't none of y'all in here perfect. Not even me. Nobody. We all have flawed things in our lives. But we all are being filled with the hope of God. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, I know the plans. Think about that. God says, I know a future and a hope. I know the plans that I have toward you. You and I go and we outreach, right? We desire to reach the lost. Uh, some of you have spoken to many people about Jesus uh, and what he's done in your life. And some have come to salvation because of you, because you testified, because they saw hope. Someone said, man, I needed to hear that because that's exactly what I'm going through. And I needed to hear hope. And you gave them Jesus. And this shows us the, that common people can do a great work for God. Common people like you and I, that God is choosing to do a great work for him. Peter was a common man who felt like common people do. But here he is preaching. He is presented as one who has been restored and is now doing a great work for God. He stood up, confessed Jesus, Lord, let them know what they've done wrong, but it brought them to prophecy. Amen. And 3,000 got saved that very moment. That's a, I can't even ponder that. When I read this, I, 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 I was already working on this since uh, Friday. And, uh, and so I read this. And all of a sudden, I said, you know what? We have to believe God for grander things in the spiritual realm, right? So, so uh, uh, when we were, my wife and I, we went to a seminar in Rhode Island, and I got to speak with my pastor. My pastor there, I said, Pastor, I, 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 what do you think about uh, renting out sea, sea, uh, Seaside uh, Park, the, the stage? We, we want to have a crusade because I want people to get healed and saved. Right? If Peter can can be restored and he preached and 3,000 get saved, how many people will come to this event knowing that they need healing and possibly get saved? My mind is already huge things happening and I'm believing God for a miracle, right? Because people need hope. That stage is used for all types of sinful things and now we can come and we can bring hope to a broken and dying generation. I want to secondly speak about vocalizing faith and failure. Now, restoration is not automatic. Some people think it's automatic. It's not. Part of Peter's restoration involves a heart test. Nothing in life is automatic. automatic. We would like it to be, though, wouldn't we? But if life were that simple, how tragic our lives would be. We'll get lazy. And we would think everything's supposed to be given to us. Peter's restoration involves a heart test. And so will yours as well. John chapter 21, verse 15, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. Jesus asked Peter this question a total of three times because restoration isn't automatic. Restoration involves vocalizing faith. That's why we need to pray. When you pray, you're vocalizing faith. When you witness, you're vocalizing faith. When you tell someone about Jesus, what you're doing is you're vocalizing your faith. You're bringing it into existence. You're creating an atmosphere of hope for people. Romans chapter 10 verse 9, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart 
that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. A confession of faith is more than words. It is supernatural. Think of me for a second. There are a lot of people. I thought about this this morning. There are a lot of people that go to bigger churches because they feel successful in something they didn't help build. Think about that for a second. There are people that go to these mega churches. They claim it as their own, but they never put their hands to the plow, but they feel successful in some way. But the flip side of that, and this is where the supernatural takes place. Here are people. You're putting your hands to the plow and we're starting from the ground up. That takes faith. That's supernatural. That is not a natural task for people to say, I'm going to go to my church. We're just starting. We're going to believe God for big things. That's not natural. That is supernatural. Because it's something that God put in your heart to believe for, and you're going with it, and you're investing your time, you're investing your resources, you're investing your heart. That's supernatural. Amen. Confession of faith is more than words. It is saying, I believe in the God of hope. Restoration is not a cliche. It is not a motivational speech. It is truth. It is faith. It is supernatural. Remember that. Proverbs 3 verse 5 says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. Peter's restoration was unlocked by his words. It was spoken into existence with the faith that God is true at his word. How many of us this morning we're still praying for family members to get saved, right? We're, we're praying for certain areas of our lives to be restored. Amen. There, there were things, even my wife and I, we're still praying for restoration in areas of our family, of our extended family. We're, it's 20 years and we're still believing God. You as well need to continue to believe that restoration is the will of God. See, confession of faith is crucial, right? The worldly mind says, that's too simple. You mean to tell me that all the wrong that I've done, all the craziness I've been involved with in my life, all I have to do is repent and come to church and make myself available to God? That's it? Yes, that's it. Repent of your sin. Turn to a 180 and turn your back on sin. Live for God. Do his will. That's it. What's so hard about that? That's too simple for my mind to comprehend. That's how awesome God is. He's so simple, he boggles your mind. <laughs> so simple. And yet so hard for us to understand. Faith is the unseen dimension that brings restoration. Your words will make faith a reality. We know what Peter responds. You know that I love you. In other words, is faith spoken and the words of faith make his restoration a reality? We sing songs, right, that encourage our faith. It edifies our restoration. Think of me for a moment, right? We just sang it, Lord, we need your grace and mercy, right? Oh, Jesus, lover of my soul, right? I fix my eyes on you, the author of my faith. Right? Think about the songs that we sing. 
I believe in God the Father. I believe in Christ the Son. I believe in the Holy Spirit. We're making a confession of faith because we believe that God is into rest- restoring the broken. See, Jesus is the source of restoration in life's failures. And God knows we all have had our share of failures, every single one of us. So where are you failing? Where do you need restoration? Wherever that may be, the hope is Jesus. He's the answer. Amen. Lastly, I want to speak about restoration to purpose. Jesus not only restores Peter's salvation, he also restores the call to preach, the call to purpose. And we live in a generation that is full of living, for people living with failure and disappointment and have grown accustomed to making that a part of their lives. You ever wonder why, you know, when my wife and I, when we lived in the projects, we were sick and tired of living in the projects. We were trying to find ways to get out of there. But there are some people that have become accustomed to that life and they make it their own. Think about that for a second. And that's the same in the church world. People think that their failures, that's all they're ever going to be. And so they make that, they, they become accustomed to that, and they make that a part of their lives. They know about God. They know about a church that loves them. They know about all the mechanics, but this is what they believe in their minds. This is my life. Failure, this is my life. God is not into that. God is into taking you out of that life and bringing you into his promise. Restoration is an essence of opportunity to do things God's way. If you know that, if you know the, the way that you've lived didn't work out and now have to come to the, under, the understanding of that, God is allowing you a second chance to do it his way. Amen. And see the supernatural of his hand in your life for the purpose of others as well. Because other people get blessed by your life. It's not just about you. Amen. God uses you. Because you take the right steps to do it his way, but it's not about you. (laughs) It's about him and what he can do through your life. Consider the prodigal son. We know the story. He leaves his father's house and begins to live a life of sin. The Bible calls it prodigal living that involves drinking. It involves prostitution. All types of gross sin which leads him to a state of want. He becomes homeless. Now think about this. He once had it in his dad's house. There are so many people that should be here this morning that had it made in God's house. But now they've left the covering of God's, uh, of, of their father's house. Uh, now he's homeless. Uh, he's filled with guilt and shame. Uh, but then the Bible records a drastic shift uh, in the prodigal's mind and heart. It says that he comes to himself. Uh, in other words, he comes to his senses. Uh, and when he returns, he's given something remarkable. His dad gives him a ring, gives him a robe, and also celebrates That's amazing. He just left. He went grossly into sin. He's he's eating with pigs. I like to eat pig, but I don't want to eat with pigs. Right? He's eating with pigs. He's eating the, the, you know, you ever seen the the pig feed? It's It's all spoiled stuff. It's nasty. 
But that's all he comes to. That's his life. See, that's what sin will do for you. It'll present something nice, and all of a sudden, it'll take you to the lowest part of your life. And you know what you'll say? I never thought I'd ever be here. That's what sin will do to you. But he comes to himself, I had it better in my father's house. I might have had everything I wanted, but I surely didn't have this. And he comes to his senses, and he goes back home. That's a good picture of a backslider that comes to their senses and says, I need to go back home. You know, the ring, the ring that his dad gives him is a ring that he's going to place back the authority of God back in his life. The robe speaks of royalty, celebration. Of course, how many know we all love parties when it's for us especially? Amen. Amen. But think with me for a second. That's not the finality of restoration. It's the beginning of an opportunity to do things the father's way. The prodigal son was given the tools to get back to work. The work of the father. Think of how wonderful that is for us. That we are given the tools to get back to work the father's way. I'm no longer doing it my way. Every time I did it my way, I failed. Now I'm doing it his way. And his way works. And this is the same for us. We get, these th- we get these things right, but it's not the finality. It's just the beginning. We come in. We feel hope. They're not judging me. They're glad I'm here. Praise God. Okay, you feel the love. You feel Now get back to work. We got work to do. We got souls to save. You felt the grace and the mercy. You know you're forgiven. You know God has a plan for your life. Okay, that's good. But that's not the finality of your restoration. Now you need to give it to others. They need to know that the same God that forgave you can forgive them as well. Many times we miss this truth, which is why many wind up backsliding. Luke chapter 4, verses 38 and 39. Now he arose from the synagogue and entered Simon's house. But Simon's wife's mother was sick with a high fever. And they made request of him concerning her. This is Jesus. So he stood over her and rebuked the fever. You see, God is rebuking a fever. That tells me that fevers are spiritual. And the Bible says it left her. And immediately she arose and served them. Here's the restoration of health. And immediately back to the work of God. She got healed, but she, she didn't just stay there. She got healed and began to serve and began to do something for God. So this teaches us that time is critical in restoration. We have to act on restoration and we have to respond to the opportunities. We cannot allow the opportunity that you have to pass you by. Don't allow your chance to do it God's way slip through your fingers. Understand what I'm saying this morning. And the reason I say that because there are so many churches that have had the opportunity that we have this morning. And because they let us slip through their fingers, they're doing absolutely nothing. Amen. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2, for he says, In the time of my favor I heard you. And in the day of salvation, I helped you. I tell you now, this is the time of God's favor. It's the day of salvation. Peter did things right. 
He took hold of this restoration. People of God, listen to me this morning. You need to take a hold of your restoration and do something with it for the glory of God. Don't just sit on it and expect something to happen. You have to take hold of it. You have to make it your own. And Acts chapter 2 is the restoration of a flawed man who sees the moment, who saw thousands saved, and this is for us as well. It's never too late while you have life. While you're breathing, it's never too late. It's never too late while you're breathing. It's too late when you stop. Because there's always opportunity as long as you're still breathing. Restorations is always possible. As I close, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 9, he has said, he has saved us and called us to a holy calling, uh, not because of our works, but by his own purpose and by the grace he granted us in Christ Jesus before time eternal. Remember this, Jeremiah chapter 30, verse 17. He says, I will restore you to health and heal your wounds, declares the Lord. Then this is a repeated theme throughout the Bible, offering hope when all else seems to contradict it. This is the God that we serve that wants to bring you to a place of complete restoration so we can get to work for his glory. Every head bowed, every eye closed in respect to your neighbor.